This is Bucket Talk, a weekly podcast for people who work in the trades and construction that aren't just trying to survive, but have the ambition and desire to thrive. The opportunity in the trades and construction is absolutely ridiculous right now. So if you're hungry, it's time to eat. We discuss what it takes to rise from the bottom to the top with people who are well on their way and roll up their sleeves every single day. Hey guys, this is episode three of Bucket Talk. You are back with Eric and Jeremy. Quick recap of last week. We talked a little bit about the recipe for being able to get yourself into the trades and rise to the top pretty quickly. Combination of effort and attitude and a lot of things going to each of those. If you're interested, feel free to go back and listen to that. This week, the focus is Jeremy and I have been kind of jamming over the past few days, and Jeremy had the luxury of plowing for the past basically 24 hours (laughs) and thinking through the night is- Get your side hustle on. Future episode. (laughs) That's very important. This episode is going to be focused on the details matter. Yeah. That that goes across almost every trade, every potential avenue that you can go into from a mechanic to a carpenter to a heavy equipment operator- the details really matter. And as we talked about, this show is focused on the the go-getter, the ambitious, the driver, and, and the details don't matter if you're not that type of person, and there's room for that, right? Yeah. But for the people that really want to build a, a credible brand and a business and reputation, the details really matter. So Jeremy, tell us a little bit. So, Kick us so off. going back to my going back to my way early days, you know, I, once again, I credit something to my father, and I didn't understand it until I until I got up in uh, in the military. But I grew up in a military family. My dad was in the Marine Corps. Definitely tough to uh, live with, but at the same time, he was instilling value in me that. I had no idea would play later on in life. Here I am, snot-nosed kid, thinking, hey, you know what? He knows nothing, and I know everything. And uh, (laughs) little did I know, he was right and I was wrong. So at an early age, every morning I got up, I had to make my bed. I I wore button-up shirts to school, tucked in, super embarrassed, hated it. But uh, it was one of those things that I was clean-cut, did things, you know, neat and clean, and... You know, I thought it was stupid. You know, we were in the 90s. It was ripped jeans. It was starter jackets. But my dad kept on pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. So, you know, rebellion, whatever. We had our differences. Moving on, I joined the military. And I didn't realize how well he actually set me up for uh, success. So I get into boot camp and I'm with a, you know, you're in a barracks, you're with a whole bunch of guys and you got your three company commanders or drill instructors, however you want to, however you want to play it out. They're sitting there yelling at you, Perkins, why isn't your uniform pressed? Why aren't your shoes shined? Why? And you're going through the motions and you're, and you're trying to get through basic training, but what it did was is it created a uniform visual perspective for the for the public. You know, when we were out and we were in the eye of the camera, the news, the media, the the public, we were all neat, clean, and uniform. So professionally, we looked great. You know, everybody was all dressed the same. Everybody, you know, had tasteful tattoos. You know, tattoos is a big thing in our trade. But it was one of those things that that w- attention to detail was learned at a very young age and then solidified when I went into the military. And so my guess is not being from the military, my father was actually in the army, but not knowing the intimate details that you actually went through is, of course, if you went out to battle, if your shoes are shined or your your pants are pressed, doesn't really matter how you're gonna perform. No, not at all. But the discipline that it sets from day one is, you do these small things and a lot of small things add up to a big thing. And so if you shine your shoes and you press your pants and you make your bed, 
when we ask you to go out and, and execute on a, on a tactical mission or right. something much more extreme, you're gonna follow a level of discipline from something much more irrelevant and minuscule, but it actually trains you to be really dialed in on right. the Right, I mean, is your gear tight? Is your is your tools sharpened? Are they oiled? Are they ready to go? I mean, that's the message. You know, military, um, non-military, that's what it is. Are you going to do battle, whether it's overseas or on your local job site? Are you ready to take on today's events, you know what I mean? And, and that's the biggest thing. You know, showing up with your shoes untied and you spend 15 minutes tying your shoe on the clock, you should be ready to go. And if it takes you an extra half an hour to get up in the morning to do it, then do it. Come with a, you know, a mind right attitude ready to go. So some of the listeners out there might have the benefit of having the military training, which is, which that's a great base. But how would you, if it's a young person, whether they're 18 or 20 and, and coming right out of high school or, or someone later on in life that, that didn't have the benefit of a military training, how could you relate what was driven into you early on and, and how, how they can approach either their day or, or how they approach themselves and have a little bit of the, the attention to details from a military training when they don't actually have the opportunity? So it, it's self-pride. And I actually see with fashion trends, the fashion trends are, are completely different than what I grew up with. The, the, you know, um, I'm a curved brim hat guy. I'm starting to wear flat brims and, and I'm, and I love it. You know, it's, it's cool. It's made the generation that's coming up is neat and clean. They're just neat and clean in a different way. So, you know, they, I, I see them, uh, you know, respect their stuff, their personal belongings and everything. And I, I think that, you know, the, the groundwork is already there. They just need to carry that into the trades. I mean, you're always going to have a guy <laughs> or, or girl that needs to shower or you know needs to clean their car, or clean their tools, or whatever. But I think as a team, we need to bring them up. I think if you the, the more players you have that that have the self pride and this and the you know self preservation, I think in turn you'll you'll bring them up. Uh, those people that don't necessarily come from that background. I joined a, a roofing company when I was 14. There was probably the first hire who's the low man. I was a few levels below the low man, picking up the stuff off the ground. And the owner of the company, I remember this vividly, was he taught me unintentionally that if there's one nail left behind, the customer can step on that nail. And so it was literally like, you get all the shingles, you get all the big stuff off, but if you leave one nail behind, and he had this magnetic roller at the end of the day, and he would be able to pick up the nails, and he'd come back after the, fir the first time, he'd be like, I found five nails. Customer could have stepped on that, game over. And it, it was unusual because it taught me that we spent a week clearing a roof, redoing a roof, but if one nail's left behind, the entire job is scrapped because you, you, <laughs> you basically ruined it. Well, Eric, being a mechanic, I know <laughs> from, from experience, contractors, debris left behind. I mean, we plug tires daily from bolts to, I mean, we've even had a screwdriver go through a tire. And we see it, you know, they may not say it to the contractor, but when they come to us, they definitely, you know, explain that they're definitely upset because now they're, you know, they had to take time out of work because they've been driving through this construction site, you know, day in and day out. And they, they picked up three, I, we had a customer pick up five nails in, you know, in, in multiple tires. And, 
you know, they had to go outside their normal routine to avoid that job site. That is one of the things. Take pride in your work, especially if you're low man. I mean, low man's where you can prove yourself. Paint chips in the bushes to, you know, yeah, nails yeah. in the driveway to yeah. uh, sawdust that isn't swept up at the end of the day to, yeah. you know, grease prints on a, you know, on the hood of a car. I mean, the, the, it's endless. And it sounds like, so that's the bridge from, from the military training, which you were fortunate to have, to the trades is, we're talking about the folks that are motivated. You don't have to do that stuff, and you can still probably run a business that does, but for the people that really wanna elevate their brand and their company and their business and have referrals and, and customers for life, right? that attention to detail really yeah, I matters. Mean, I mean, to play off that, you, know, you don't have to do it, but you should do it, and everybody should strive to do better. And I, I think that saying you don't have to do it is, I think you have to do it, but people don't do it. And once again, we're trying to bring up the 20%, make it 30, 40, 50%, where there will always be people across any industry that just doesn't want to do it, yeah. you know, doesn't yeah. take pride in their work. And that and that that pride is the important piece is, do you want to have pride in what you do every day or do you not want to have pride in what you do? And so, so yes, you don't have to, but at the end of the day, you go home, you sleep well, you don't worry about, hey, I really screwed this customer or I cut this corner here. You're delivering above and beyond right. so what's I'll, required to, to deliver, so right? So I'll, I'll speak from experience and you know, I'm fortunate enough and unfortunate to work and live in the community that I service. And um, yeah, I've had to look customers in the eye at the deli counter or at the, um, you know, the gymnastics meet or, or, or what have you and say, hey, you know what? Today didn't go right. But, you know, for me, it's always about being honest, doing what I can do, doing it right, going the extra mile to where now, yeah, everybody makes mistakes and, and uh, we try to mitigate those mistakes, but they happen. And I have built a rapport enough that, you know, when I do run into those people that, that we did have a, a, a mistake, that everything I've done to this point has been, you know, above and beyond the call of duty. They've looked at me and said, you know, I may not be happy with the situation, but I, I, I know that you, you had the best intentions in mind. So, you know, for me, that, that allows me to sleep at night and I, I try everything. I scramble. I try to do everything to make it right. Really, it's just, it, it's a sense of pride, a sense of community. Okay, so the next thing we want to talk about is is how you carry yourself. And I'm not exactly sure how, how we got here, but but this week I was having a, a conversation with someone who actually was having five contractors come to the house. So this is a customer perspective, different than, than the trades folks. But the million dollar takeaway was, you know, I had five carpenters essentially come to my house to bid on a project. And two of those carpenters put white booties over their boots as they entered my house. And he goes, irrelevant to the grand scheme of things, it's probably irrelevant of how good they are at their craft and their detail and attention to detail. But automatically those two folks had the job, right? And they still had an interview and they still had to submit their bid and their costs and all that stuff, but it set such a precedent. And so Jeremy and I were talking about how you carry yourself and how you present yourself in the trade, which is unique, you know, everything from the basic strong handshake, good eye contact, a big smile. But can you talk a little bit about from, from what you've seen of how that stuff really So it really goes matters? it goes from polished equipment to to uh, how you look. I mean, this bugs me <laughs> day in and day out. I wear I wear my company's brand essentially when I'm on the job and outside of work. I've gone to job sites or seen landscapers or see concrete mason guys, anything where work for a company and wear somebody else's brand. That's not necessarily a problem in and of itself, 
But what it is, is that, you know, a lot of these guys need to take pride in what they do. Show up with their with their sight truck and it's neat and clean and organized. There's nothing like opening up the door of your truck and McDonald's falls out. And it doesn't matter how old it is, it's just how you take care of it. And not only just taking care of that, but taking care of yourself. I see guys getting out, you know, flicking the cigarette butt in the in the uh, in the driveway and going and talk to the customer, or you show up and, and you got you know all your paperwork together. You're early. You're ready to go. Swears. That's a huge thing in our trade. You know, we laugh, we joke. You know, I could throw an F-bomb with the rest of them. I'm a sailor. I mean, it is what it is. But there's a time and a place for all that stuff. You know, how you treat people, how you address people. I still, because of the military, address people as sir and ma'am from time to time. And, you know, you get the customer that says, oh, you know, sir is my father or, or ma'am was my mother. But it's a, it's a sign of respect, that, that I respect the customer. And you don't have to go that far, but knowing each person's name, any customer that comes in, I try to learn their name. You know, I try to interact with that customer. I try to put myself in their shoes. And, and that's the way I carry myself. And, and they, in turn, give me that respect because I'm at least trying. And what, what's interesting there is you don't always have to try to impress the customer with, I've got the brand new truck, I've got the brand new tools, I've got all that stuff. To some degree, you do need it to show that you're actually keeping up with the trades. But are you impacting the customer? Is your stuff tight? Is your stuff clean? You don't need the brand new truck with the brand new plow to earn the business. But is your truck and your plow tight? Is it organized? Is it clean? Is, is your tool bench tight and organized and clean? It doesn't have to be brand new. I mean, it goes, it goes to barbers. It goes to, you know, culinary arts. I mean, there's, the trade spans a lot. of. It, you go into a hair salon and it's got hair all over the floor. You're like, come on. The yeah. same with a kitchen. You know, is the kitchen nice, you know, polished, stainless, everything. If you equate that to how you run your business and how you carry yourself in the trades, would you want to go eat at a restaurant that, that is in complete disarray? Or would you want to go into the... It doesn't, it doesn't matter how good the food is. It's right. your first perception. And, the, and that's the same way with us. Is, is, is what's going to get you the job? Are you going to win the bid? Is the customer going to return just based on optics? So we want to talk about timeliness. And so, <laughs> so this week, you know, at my house, we're going through some, some issues where there, we, have, we have a six-hour window. And my wife works and I work and I'm in the city and she's not. And so we'll show up anywhere between, you know, 11 and like 5 or 6 p.m. And so that basically means we have to take you know, half a day or a full day or whatever that may mean. That's obviously a, a unique situation, but it happens to a lot of people. But from yeah, your perspective, I, talk I, about timeliness. Well, and that's the thing. If you're, you know, delivering appliances or, you know, as the contractor, it might be in your best interest to be there to receive it versus the customer, you know, to kind of save them time. And you know the people you're delivering it from, whether it's a local shop or whatever, they may be able to give you a smaller window. So, you know, there's a little customer service aspect in, in its own right. But what I can say to timeliness is the fact that I've always operated under the rule that, if you're on time, you're late. If you're early, you're on time. You are my priority at this time. As opposed to if you show up late or you're just in the nick of time, your, your, your mind, you know, the customer may perceive that your mind is elsewhere or, you know, your employer may say, hey, you know what? Whoa, this guy's shaving it close. What happens when something comes up? I've been late, I'd say under, under five times in the past 10 years, unexcused. And, and they were early on in my career, you know, it was a, a, a product of, of me being a little immature and, and having a good time. But me being on time all the time or early 
allowed me to screw up. And it was awesome because here I am showing up to work at nine when I'm supposed to be there at seven. And what did my boss say? He laughed and said, don't let it happen again. So he gave me the benefit of the doubt because he knew that, you know it wasn't what? Gonna, it wasn't going to happen all the time. No. It was a very rare occasion right. that you're 23 and you, you went out to the bar <laughs> or the club or whatever and, and you got and the leeway. And those, those days are behind me. But what, I, what I'm saying is, is you, you always want your emergencies or your screw-ups to be so minimal that that when they when it actually happens that there's there's really no repercussion for it mm-hmm. whereas if you're always late and then you honestly you know something happens you overslept or the alarm clock didn't come up you know go off your boss is like well this happens all the time you know what right, i mean right, right. and you're like but i i'm, I'm serious it, it happened they're not going to believe you right. you know if you're if you're always there on time and you give a genuine effort you you could work with a customer for 10 years you know doing odd jobs around their house and you're and you're not there on time and you show up and you say, hey, you know what, my kid was sick. They're gonna understand. That helps build relationships with our customers, employers, and, and just keeps your yourself in check. You should the, take the a- timeliness. It sounds like builds trust. Oh, absolutely. And then it gives you actually more leeway when you actually either have an emergency or not an emergency to actually say, this is out of character. It's either never gonna happen again or it's gonna happen very infrequently. Right. I mean, so, you don't even have at that point, you don't even have to say it's out of character because the your boss is sitting there going, geez, I wonder if Jeremy's all right. You know, yeah, I wonder <laughs> if he's alive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, as opposed to, you know, oh, you know, here we go again. So the next thing we want to hit on from the attention to details is, you know, Jeremy was mentioning he's he's been at some job sites recently, visiting some buddies and some fellow trades. And a lot of these job sites have dumpsters, right? And so dumpsters are an unusual thing where where you not only it's getting filled by all the different contractors at any job site. Absolutely. Sometimes you got some neighbors who are dumping stuff in there, but <laughs> but it's a good example of an attention to detail concept that that Jeremy has some unique perspective right so you know me being in the automotive field we're like the barber shop we would be a psychiatrist of the trades I mean we hear it all but what's funny is is you know I hear from a lot of customers saying that I have to get my dumpster dumped so many times I see a lot of my building material that I paid for in the dumpster they don't they don't really have the the balls, if you will, to to get up there and and, and confront their contractor. And, and there's two things. One, a dumpster dump is one really expensive, yeah. and it's even more expensive when you feel like your materials are being in there. When you have tires left over or anything that could be reused, the customer is like, "Well, why didn't you just put two tires on? I know that I had one good tire that you know I had a flat recently. Why couldn't we use that tire?" And and so I think I think a little bit of um, explaining up front and, and a little bit of perceiving that you know maybe that's the maybe that's the norm maybe that's the the industry norm but let's make it so that it's not so obvious and you know it's not it's not trying to hide anything from the customer or or what have you but it's realizing that this may be a stretch for them and it's a lot of stuff going on but you know they show up on the job site and you're like hey we need to we need to purchase more lumber. We need to have some more. And they look over at the dumpster and it's full of all their cutoffs. And so I think that, you know, having a neat, tidy dumpster, uh, a neat, tidy scrap pile, you know, trying to reuse the things that that have been paid for. Also in our trade, you know, sometimes things are stuck together. So it's easier to replace the whole thing than it would be to replace that one part. But you also got to have a little forethought to realize that, 
hey, you know what? That's got a lot of paint on it. That might actually be new. You know what I mean? So they may have just had it replaced. So you really need to pay attention instead of backpedaling with the customer. Put yourself in their shoes, understand that this may not be an easy experience for them either. And, and it's interesting because coming from a layman's perspective, moved into a house a few years ago and showed up and there was a bunch of siding left over that probably someone should have thrown away. But I showed up and I said, this is great. I can either get a shed out of this Little do I know, as I'm starting to put in a shed, it wasn't even enough to do like <laughs> two rungs of the shed. So the contractor probably would have naturally thrown that away, but it actually made me feel like, wow, they left this behind for me. No, it's not enough to actually accomplish anything or replace anything, but it's the combination of attention to detail and also paying attention to the customer and saying, they might've come up to me and said, hey, listen, I've got a box of siding here. You've paid for it. It's not gonna get you anywhere. Right. I'm happy to throw it away because it's going to sit underneath your deck. But if you want to keep it, keep it and give the customer the option Absolutely. to decide. And then I would have been like, wow, I, I would have felt really empowered and really great about that versus me showing up and seeing the dumpster and saying, they just threw away like a couple hundred <laughs> bucks worth of siding and not hearing with, the backstory. With, with no explanation. And exactly. I think that's the, that's the big thing. I have, I don't know, two, three bundles of shingles in, in my basement. Well, you know what? I had a few shingles blow off. The, the roofing guy come over and he said, I can't match these up. And I was like, hey, <laughs> I got to. And so he actually used what I had to match it and, it and it was perfect. So it wasn't to get a deal or a discount from the guy who was doing the repairs. It was just to essentially make his job easier and, and to, to blend the roof and it, and, it looked, and it looked great, you know? So the next thing we wanna touch on is billing your customers. So from, from the guy that actually is delivering the service, whether that's in the mechanic trade, from the carpentry, from a big bid at a, at a high level, big iron job is delivering a bill to a customer and not just saying, here's the bill, figure it out, deal with it. Well, there's two parts to it. And, and, and one is setting the customer up for the estimate. You know, when they come in with the complaint, they say, you know, I'm getting a grinding noise or I'm getting water in or whatever. You have the skill set and the mindset to understand, all right, this is kind of where we're going with this. Especially on some of the bigger bills, you know, the routine bills, it, it is what it is. You know, I, hey, you got a two wheel brake job, you know, it's 500 bucks and that, that's what it is. But I think when, when you start to get into diagnosis or exploratory stuff with houses and, and, and what have you, that you really break it down. You say, hey, this is the 13 hours of labor that it took to do it, but here's the parts breakdown. And I think people, when, they, when, they, when they're handed a $5,000 or $10,000 bill, they're like, where's all the money? And then you realize that a third of it was labor, but the rest of it was the quality of the parts that you put in. Mm -hmm. So where some people price check with the internet or price check with Home Depot versus a, a craftsman supply store, they may realize that you know one contractor uses this quality of parts versus another contractor using this quality of parts. Neither of them are wrong. It's all in the explanation of, hey, I use quality parts that carry a two-year warranty. And I'm not willing to use the throwaway parts because our company stands for. Right, right, right. And, and, and that might be something that the customer wants. I want the cheapest and, and, and fastest because I'm looking to only keep this car for three months and then it's going to get traded in. Where this customer is like, hey, this is my only means of transportation. I go to Maine and back uh, from Massachusetts and, and I needed to withstand a two hour road trip with my family in it back and forth. I want the best stuff in it. So 
if you if you let the customer know up front what what kind of quality and, and what the pricing will be, it sets them up better for getting the bill than if you go, hey, here's a two thousand dollar bill and with zero explanation or yeah. breakdown. Yeah. So it sounds like it's a two part thing, which is it's explaining here's the problem that you're facing, mm-hmm. and then here are this here's the solution options, and it could be extreme is total rebuild, total refab, total high-end product, whatever it may be, to the low end and explaining you can get by with X, Y, and Z. Right. And it's kind of like an art, less than a science, which is listening to the customer. I, you know, I want the patch. Right. Not the fix. Right. Well, all right, we're not a patch place, but we know a place that can patch. Absolutely. We're the fix place, you know, and so it's a little bit of, it's it's the problem, the solution, and where you as a company believe match. Yeah, I mean, just by giving the customer the opportunity to go somewhere else for a cheaper fix doesn't necessarily mean that you're losing the customer. It actually may may be that you're solidifying the bond with the customer, that this customer realizes, hey, you know what, this guy isn't in it for the money, he's in it for the general well-being and, and, and future business of our relationship. He wants to build a, a, a 10-year or 20-year relationship versus the quick sale and you know, see you later. So, so we'll wrap this up with, with the last point, which actually kind of ties all this together, which is the details really matter. It sets the stage for the rest of your career. You know, they always say you, you practice like you play. So if, if you set those attention details early on, the rest of your career are going to follow that path. And of course, as we always talk about, we're trying to empower and motivate and impact the people that actually want to really move up and, and move on in the trades. And you can definitely get by with doing a lot less, but these are the things that'll help you move to the next level and stand out from the craft. Absolutely, these are these are things that have been able to help me identify with the customer and, and be able to navigate explaining what's going on and 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 how we're going to achieve everybody's goal. And you know, the the more that you can uh, relate to the customer, or the more the customer can relate to you. And your craft, it, you know, you come up, you come up with a better product. You know, you're able to just understand each other, grow with each other, and that's why community is a big thing. You know, I work in my community. I have a sense of pride in my community, and, and I'd want the same from others. You know, and uh, you hold people to the standard that you should be held to yourself. So next week is episode four of bucket talk we're glad to have jeremy back he was on uh he's been working for the past 13 or 15 (laughs) or 17 hours on another storm after last week and uh and it's the reality of the business you know he is what he's doing what he's doing i mean we've been hashing out ideas through the entirety of the storm it's actually a good place to be you know, you're sitting in your little office, you know, plowing, you know, helping out, once again, helping out your community because I plow in my community. So it's nice to be able to, uh, you know, think about the ideas, hash them out and uh, move on. And, you know, I'm looking forward to week four and uh, let's get it going. <laughs>